viewpoints expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm so excited to be back in the studio this week, and all we're going to be talking about are the eagles, so I just want to give a shout-out to my beloved birds. Um, Also, if you're listening and um, you'd like some information on our lineup, Um, events around Women to Watch and and all the things we have going on, be sure to check out our website at womentowatch.net. That's women2watch.net, N-E-T. So I'm going to get right to uh, introducing my very special guest this afternoon who's with me in the studio, and her name is Alana Rea. Alana is uh, a lawyer, a lecturer at Columbia, and she's also the founder of ETRA, which is uh, a resource and a mentoring site for middle school girls. Alana, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. It's great to have you, and I'm always excited when my guests are with me as opposed <laughs> to calling so I can see your face. Um, and uh, I, there's a lot I want to talk to you about. I think what you're doing is so, so important. You know, when we talk about women and girls and leadership, it's important that we get to them early. Um, and uh, But I want to start a little bit with your background okay. and your growing up years in Saddle River. Yes. Right? So um, I moved to Saddle River when I was 12 in New Jersey. And before that, I lived in Manhattan just till I was seven. And I went to the United Nations School there when I was young. And then we lived in Boston for a bit. And when I was 12, I moved to New Jersey with my family. Um, I met my husband in seventh grade in New Jersey. You did? I oh did. We gosh. have known each other since seventh grade. Wow. That's not even high school sweethearts. No, that's, no. That's uh, <laughs> childhood sweethearts. That's, well, we were childhood friends, definitely. So, oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And, and it was great. And growing up there was nice being near New York. Obviously, we were in and out and had a lot of uh, access to things in New York. But I would say growing up, it was a very academic and socially conscious household. There were questions always encouraged. Um, my mom, they tell stories all the time about my mom taking me to marches when I was a toddler. And wow. yes, lots oh. of protesting. And <laughs> if there were whales to be saved or something, or you could see her at the kitchen table writing a letter to someone and you knew someone was in trouble. Oh, that's so awesome. So you were that. learning early on about speaking up. Yes, right? for sure. Raise your hand, speaking up, be heard. Absolutely. At my yeah. mother's cuff. Well, I would say, um, you know, doing my research, and I was reading a lot about your your background, and your grandmom was a was an attorney. She was in 1936, and that was unusual. Yeah, she right? was the only woman in her class at Brooklyn Law. Wow! And and she was a huge influence on me. I mean, you talk about early mentorship. Is this I, your mom's mom? This is my dad's mom. Oh, your dad's mom. Okay. Uh, but I remember watching her in meetings in court, doing public speaking. And she was riveting to watch, but she was fully comfortable being the only woman in the room. And it was one of the first times, you know, before you have a a female pediatrician or anything like that, to watch my grandmother be unconcerned about having no other women in the room and going in to do the job she was hired to do was thrilling. 
And, you know, I always want to keep going back. And where, where did that come in her? Was she raised by, by parents that encouraged you She know, tells her? the story all the time of they had, her family had a grocery store and uh, they lived above the store and she went to law school at night. So she would work in the store during the day, go to law school at night and then come home and prop the stove open to keep the room warm and her feet warm while she studied. Wow. And get up the next day and do it again. Uh, so she, she was the only one in her family to, to go to graduate school like that, but it, again, she just knew she was going to do it. She was young and, and she did it and yeah. raised her three children and That's was awesome. a practicing lawyer. So now your mom became an attorney as well, but later in life. Yes. At the age of 50. That's a big deal. My third year of law school was her first year. Wow. So wow. it was an interesting crossover. She had always wanted to go and she was a nurse prior to that. And then she was home with us while we were growing up. And at 50, she decided to go and she went to Cardozo and then that training combined with her um, work as a nurse led her to bioethics. So then she became a bioethicist, and she only just retired this past year. Oh, my gosh. So she had a, a great career from 50 on in bioethics, and, and it was a terrific pairing of her skills, which was nice. Yeah. Um, so it was something she did always want to do. I think so. So what was the, kind of the, the catalyst at that time in her life that made her say, now now I'm ready? I don't know. I I think it was probably just a dream deferred. I think I had this unbridled love of law school. And I think if you're around someone who's constantly talking about how amazing that which you had always wanted to do actually is, it, it's good incentive. Yeah. But I, I think this was always part of her plan. Um, your dad was or is a neurosurgeon? He is. Is he retired as well? Uh, he is not. He keeps saying he will, mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem to happen just yet. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he was... Uh, chair of neurosurgery at Mount Sinai in New York for a long time, and now he's chair emeritus and continues to operate and train young residents and loves loves what he does. Yeah. So oh, obviously your mom and dad were, are driven folks. Yes. Right? <laughs> and that can be a blessing or a curse or sometimes a combination of both just from the perspective of being a young kid and trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. Um, and was that an expectation that you put on yourself um, or did, you know, particularly what your mom did just kind of rub off on you and, and make you want to uh, be a lawyer as well? It's a great question. I think it wasn't that the expectation was verbalized all the time. There was just an assumption that you were going to find something you love to do and work hard and give back. The combination of I grew up watching people do what they loved. My Both of my grandfathers were physicians, most of my uncles, and everyone around me just loved what they did, and they were very passionate about helping people, teaching, curing disease. So you grow up around motivated, passionate people. You want to find that in your life. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer early on. A lot of that was my grandmother. But I also just felt that that I was drawn to it. I liked to read. I liked debate. Um the idea of solving problems that were hard for other people to solve appealed to me. Mm -hmm. And there was a full expectation that we would give back. There was an absolute expectation that whatever we did would be socially useful, that it would have some philanthropic bent to it, that we were going to make the place better than when we, had got, when we got there. Yeah, That was expected. So, <clears throat> excuse me, tell me what some of your challenges were then as a young girl. What were some things that kind of, you know, you had to work on and um, talk yourself so into I, and out of. I think I, in the beginning, very early, I thought I was supposed to love medicine. 
And that got sticky when I took biology and we had to dissect a starfish and I, I fainted immediately. I mean, a starfish. It wasn't <laughs> I was going to say, and I thought just, you were going to say frog. Nothing. No, no, a starfish. <laughs> and, and it happened repeatedly and it became very clear that while I might like the subject, yeah, the scalpel was not you. for me. Right. Um, that wasn't a challenge as much as just a dawning realization that mm. it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, no, I felt that there was certainly encouragement for me to go into law. I was very close to my grandmother. And when I, I went to Smith, which was, you know, it is an all-women's college, and there had been a tradition of women's colleges in my family. My mother had gone to a women's school, several of my aunts, my cousin. So going somewhere like that and then saying, oh, now I'm surrounded by women who are motivated and driven and know what they want to do, I think solidified my interest in law that it reassured me that I was not too young to actually know what I wanted to do and that it was going to be a good match with my skills. And, you know, I got there at 17 and looked around and everyone else seemed pretty sure about mm -hmm. what they wanted. And it, it helped crystallize it. Yeah. And it, it allows you to know that you can do it yes. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. No ceiling. T um, high school. Was that, where did you go to high school? Dwight Englewood. And in Englewood, New Jersey. Is that private, public? It's Co private. Private. Co-ed, private. Co-ed. Okay. Um, and... And it was, it was great. It was a typical high school. Um, it was about 30 minutes from our house. So a lot of the social life was either in Englewood or often in the city mm -hmm. and allowed for a little more independence, which was nice. Um, and very supportive school, lots of opportunity for APs and things like that. I mean, it allowed you to stretch as much as you wanted. Yeah, great. Um, I should probably mention, you know, we gave the name of your organization, ETRA. Yes. It means to be. It does. In French. Um I read a quote where you say, I remain unapologetically nerdy. It's true. Right? Um, and I wanted to talk to you about that that comment just because I think so much of what you're doing is so wonderful in helping the young girls who are at an age where they're, gosh, they're just trying to figure it all out, understand that what they should be is just themselves. Yes. Right? Um, tell me, what does that mean to you when you say I'm unapologetically nerdy and how can we change the narrative around pursuing STEM, the field of it, and have the kids think it's cool to do that as opposed to, um, I'm a nerd, I'm going into, you know, technology know. or medicine or law? I think, I think to embrace the fact that you have academic interests and that your interests are serious and substantive and that you are curious by nature is a good thing. And we can call it nerdy because it evokes a smile and, and it takes the sting out of someone saying, oh, she's so nerdy. But truly, to tell girls that it is completely okay to be curious and push for answers, and if you don't get an answer that satisfies you to push for more, um, math and science and engineering and tech don't have to be so off-putting and so scary. And for them to see role models, like when we have written about STEM and then NASA women comments on it, mm -hmm. and the girls see that female astronauts who were once middle school girls just like them who liked entering the science fair and liked math are now reinforcing that their interests are valid and should be you know cheered and encouraged yeah I think helps take away the nerdy aspect of it there are engineering sites and coding sites and amazing opportunities and a lot of what the site does is just try to highlight them you know the site is really just a collection of curated resources and links and role model quotes I tried to divide it up, you know, keying off the, the ETRA title, who do you want to be? Each page is be informed, be smart, be wise with a dollar sign, be innovative. 
And each of those pages is geared to highlighting links that we pick that will help springboard authentic interests. Mm. So if they have an authentic interest in any of the STEM fields, there are toys like Goldie Blocks, there are sites like Girls Who Code, Engineer Girl, Discover E, any of these amazing sites. I mean, they just there are more and more every day that will help them further those interests. And they can play games and they can enter challenges. And you know, 3M and Discovery Education have a young scientist challenge geared towards middle schoolers. And the 2017 winner was in uh, sixth grade when she won. She was 11 years old. Mm. Tremendous. Yeah, I love that. So the idea that it's not nerdy. You should enter these contests, either at your school or on a national level. Mm -hmm. um, the more role models that we see and the ones that are cool to the girls, too. Mm. You know, engineers who work at Facebook and the NASA astronauts and any of the other coders – this is great for them to see. Yeah. And nerdy becomes cool. Yeah. I think you mentioned to me before the show started about um, a new program you're doing, Lunch and Learns, yep. which is really kind of showing them. Um, talk about that a little bit, you know, what so you're going to be doing. On the site initially, um, and, and I can talk about how it all started, but initially I asked for quotes from women in interesting fields. When it first started, I wanted to highlight quotes from accomplished women in different fields to give girls a sense of what they did and why it was enjoyable for them and when they started thinking about it. So the next logical step, the site's only 20 months old, but the next logical step for us is to get some girls in front of these women in person. Mm -hmm. So for 2018, we're going to do Lunch and Learns, where we take five to ten girls at a time, and we're starting in New York, but we are going to move it around. And we're going to go visit interesting companies, companies where the girls use the product or are familiar with the company and are excited to go and we're going to meet with female executives. We're going to stay one hour. We're going to bring our own lunch. We'll tour the place. But they'll get to ask their questions in person and discuss the answers in depth. Um, Spotify's agreed to host our first one, and Google's going to be second. And the girls are thrilled and so yeah. excited. And the companies have been incredibly welcoming to say, sure, 10 middle school girls, a few high school girls, absolutely. Yeah. And the companies are being suggested by our board of advisors. So Etra has a board of advisors that's all middle school and high school age girls. Yeah, I love that. Um, because when I started this, I, even though I had the idea way back when my daughter was in middle school, as my daughter is now in college, um, I needed valid, authentic feedback from middle school girls. Mm -hmm. And so that's the board. Mm. And we don't meet in person, but once a month I send an email out talking about what we're doing, asking for suggestions, and then five questions where I need their feedback. And their feedback is what shapes the content on the site. It directs the articles that we write for Huffington Post or Mogul or Thrive or any of the other places. The board is essential. Yeah. So they're suggesting the companies that they want they're to visit. They're really running the ship. They are running the they show. They are running the ship. As, as they will. Yeah. I want to talk about the beginning, how, you uh -huh. know, your, your daughter was in middle school. You mentioned yes. that. And um, it kind of, you just had a thought. It occurred to you that, you know, she needed and her friends needed to, uh, you know, an opportunity to talk to women in yes. certain careers. So you sent out an email to your girlfriends and you wanted to have a summit. I did. I yeah. wanted to have a summit. I sent, I realized that my daughter was looking at a lot of my friends who were extremely accomplished. I mean, rock stars in different fields. And she saw them as my friend, my friend from book club or so-and-so's mom. And she just wasn't getting exposure to women in in serious executive positions. So I did, as you said, I sent an email out and I said, look, I wanna host a girls summit. We're gonna have it at my house. We'll get all the girls together and we'll let them ask all their questions. 
What's it like to be the only woman in a room? Were you ever nervous to raise your hand? What was your best subject in school and how did you further it? What was your hardest subject in school and how did you get better at it? Those questions. And every woman said yes, and it didn't happen just because too busy. <laughs> you know, getting all of these women in one place at one time, I was working, they were working, it just didn't happen. So I started sending my daughter to lunch with them. And again, not like a power lunch, you know, 20 minutes, she brought her own lunch, but she got to ask some questions. Do you want to know what it's like to be an orthopedic surgeon? Let's go ask. Mm. What's it like to work at a magazine? Let's go see. Yeah. And She's in college now, but I think if you asked her, she would say it was impactful and valuable. And then I continued working. When I left the law firm in 2014, when my kids were going off to school, I said to one of those girlfriends, I think I want to revive the summit. It doesn't have to be my daughter, but I want to get a bunch of middle school girls together and bring all of us together and talk to them about mentorship and what it's like to work where we work. And she looked at me and she said, you just finished a decade of helping your law firm build websites for different practice areas. You could build a website. Why does this need to be a one-day event? Why not build a site where girls can drop in whenever they want? Ongoing. And, yeah. and, and you can shape discussion. You can respond to timely issues. And that was in the fall of 2015. And by Mother's Day 2016, it was incorporated, trademarked, launched, launched on Mother's Day of 2016. Tell me why it was important to you. Because I think, you know, as moms, girlfriends, you know, women, we're always sitting around talking about th how we can make the world a better place, and right. things we want to do and, and hope and wish for. Um, but you you took on a lot in doing this. It's, it's taking up a lot of your time. It is, but joyfully yeah. so, I have to say. Um, so when I was when I was at the law firm, part of what I did was something called knowledge strategy, where I would, we built deal banks and litigation banks to help leverage internal resources. And we highlighted resources that the lawyers, all practicing lawyers needed to have as a competitive advantage. This is the same thing. This is knowledge strategy for girls. And I truly felt like girls today, not only do they need the mentorship, and that was left over from when I was thinking about it with my daughter, but in today's day and age, which is different when, from when she was young. There's an overload of information. Mm -hmm. The girls are exposed to so much information. It's all coming at them. It's difficult to tell what's true and what's not. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to know what's authentic and what's not. If a celebrity says it, does it mean it's a great charity? Or Do they mean she, it? Right. Mm -hmm. It's hard to know. So the idea of doing what I did for the law firm and finding a way to curate resources, pick and choose the ones that I really thought were valuable and would help springboard the girls into new areas or challenge themselves, that was of interest to me. And it does take up a lot of time, but it's it's a lot of fun to do. I love writing it. I love interacting with the girls. I built the site myself, so I I can do it on the fly. I can edit it on my phone if I want to. Yeah, that's great. Um, and the social media, the girls brought me up to speed, uh, <laughs> which was important. Um, but it's... I feel as if I can help these girls. I'm not necessarily the mentor for them, but I'm helping them find the mentors. I'm teaching them how to look for a mentor in an area that they like. We've got a whole page called Be Connected, which breaks down what is a mentor, how would you find it, is middle school too young, how to involve your parents and make sure that everyone's on board, the safety aspect of it, and then how they can mentor a younger girl. How do they pay it forward? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of high school girls now that Be Connected page on the site 
morphed into us having after school clubs because one of my high school board members came to me and said, I want to bring Etra to my school. She's at a K through 12 school and she wanted to mentor middle school girls. Mm. A month later, we had Club Etra and we have about six schools doing it now and they're bringing in speakers and they're picking pages off the website to guide whether it's a monthly meeting or a quarterly meeting, but it's mentorship within a campus, older girls to younger girls. And it's just a nice offshoot. Yeah. You mentioned uh, mentors. And I want to know if I were to say to you, you know, tell me about a mentor in your life. Who's the very first person that comes to mind? Besides your grandma. Besides yeah, my grandma. Besides your grandma. I think the first, my first mentor at Skadden, <clears throat> at, at my law firm. Um, I went to Skadden straight out of law school. Skadden Arps is a big global firm, you know, 1,700 lawyers, over 20 different offices. And I did mergers and acquisitions, which I loved. And it's a very male-dominated field traditionally, Mm -hmm. but my very first mentor was a woman. And she was fantastic. Her name's Nancy Lieberman. She is the youngest partner the firm's ever made. And just to learn next to her, to watch her negotiate with clients, be respected by her fellow partners, watch her train other associates, was more instructive than I can possibly say. And I worked directly for her for my first two years at the firm. And I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I think it shaped me immeasurably. Yeah. Again, seeing a woman doing it and doing it well. Yeah. You know, uh, something else we talked about briefly before the show was I asked you, you know, had you experienced any gender bias, you know, throughout your career? And there's a lot of talk out there around that. And the the nice thing was you said no. I said no, definitively no. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that and why you think you didn't. Uh, was it just, you know, the firm you happened to be with, the people you were surrounded with, and how not having that experience really helped your confidence? It did. All, all true. Um, Skadden is a very merit-based and forward-looking firm. And what I loved about being there was there was no ceiling on what you could do. There was no, no one said, oh, you're only a first year, or you're only a second year, so you can't draft this, or you can't attend this meeting. If you were willing to work hard and be incredibly prepared and do the work, you could do anything you wanted. And that extended not just to the age I was or the level I was at the firm, but gender as well. There was no question of being treated differently or getting different work or not having access to certain deals or certain partners because I was a woman. I felt protected and safe. And I felt, honestly, I told you, I felt like I had an army of big brothers with me at all time. Mm. And even when we were in very few situations where, you know, someone else, an investment banker or someone at another firm would make a comment that I didn't find offensive, but others were worried that I might, they jumped and and they were standing in front of me as if I had grown up with them. Oh, wow. It was a very protective place and at the same time encouraging and they just care that you can do the work. Mm. It's it's a very deep bench of incredibly smart people with incredibly high standards. And it is a thrilling place to work because they're just, that all skated right by. Yeah. I, I can honestly say that I did not once have any experience like that. Do you think it, it was, the reason for that had more to do with you and what you put out there? My unending nerdiness. <laughs> well, just your, I mean, really, your, your confidence and ability to do the job. Maybe. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's, it's a, Complex topic. It is, and I don't think I'm being naive when I say I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Um, 
it's it's different for every person. It's different at every firm. It's different every decade. Mm. But I started in the early 90s. We were busier than we could possibly imagine. My schedule there was crazy. I slept under my desk, you know, multiple nights a week. And um, you enjoyed that? Loved, loved every minute. I was just the happiest. Uh, but it's because of the energy there. And it's yeah. because you're surrounded by smart people who love what they're doing and they're doing it well. And you're reading about it in the paper the next day. Mm. It's thrilling. Yeah. And yeah. there were no distractions. How many like years that. were you there? I was total? there for five. And then I stopped and was home for six years when my kids were small. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went back and I was there for another decade. Okay. Do you miss it? I miss, I think so. I miss the people for sure. Yeah. Um, being surrounded by people who are that informed and that committed to really anything they're talking about. You sit at breakfast and you listen to them talk about politics or sports and you're swimming in the deep end mm. is, is terrific. I do not miss the commute necessarily. Um, and I think everything happens for a reason. I don't know that I would have done this. I don't know that I would have built this site if I were still working there. Yeah, probably not. Um, yeah. I, I would still love what I was doing, but this came at the right time. Yeah. And I'm an empty nester now, and I have the time to really devote to this. And it's been a joy to grow something like this. In the same way when I was building the sites at the firm, mm -hmm. we built a department of knowledge strategy. We, we created over 30 different internal websites. In the same way I enjoyed building that, I'm loving building this. Have you always enjoyed research? Uh, that's a good question. I think so. I liked, I mean, college thesis. I was a research intern um, in the Senate Judiciary Committee during my junior year of college mm -hmm. and loved that. Um, yeah, probably. And you, on occasion, you lecture at Columbia. I do. I'm a guest lecturer there um, in their topics? information and knowledge strategy department. So they have a master's program for um, knowledge and analytic leaders, consultants, entrepreneurs um, in all areas. And it's a 16-month program. And the students learn all about information strategy, uh, new ways of collaboration, artificial intelligence. So I lecture on... Um, knowledge strategy in law firms. I lectured on disruptive innovation in the law and then in other fields. And I've written a little bit for them. And they have a new academic director this year, Ed Hoffman, who used to be the CKO at NASA. So oh, wow. he's going to be a really interesting guide to the department now. Yeah, very cool. This might be a silly question, but you, a lot of phrases you just use that the listeners might not be familiar <laughs> with. So when you say knowledge strategy, what is that? So it's a way of the part that I lecture on is the way a large professional service firm, whether it's a law firm, an investment bank, a consulting firm, can mine the knowledge that they already have and then leverage it so it's a competitive advantage elsewhere. So if you were negotiating against someone and you're looking at a particular representation that they were going to give or a clause in an agreement, to be able to quickly and effectively look through all of the other similar documents – where oh. this firm was on the other side or in this particular sector or in this bracket and say, this is what's market. This is what it usually looks like. This is the best when it's negotiated properly. This is what it looks like. To have that at your fingertips mm. is a huge advantage. Yeah. And more and more now, there are software programs. There is the use of artificial intelligence. Companies like Ross or IBM Watson are beginning to bring those things into professional service firms like this. And how? How do you integrate that mm. with within a firm where the people are really the gold standard? And how can we leverage that and free up their time and their 
their hours and and become more efficient. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the, you know, to the site. And, and there's three key areas that you focus on, which I think are so Mm-hmm. So great, uh, because there's lots of topics, you know, we we could talk about there's lots of topics where the girls need help. And you're focusing on um, uh, financial confidence, philanthropy, and entrepreneurship mm-hmm. with them in particular. Why those three areas? I think that people underrate middle, underestimate middle school girls when it comes to those topics. I think that financial literacy is generally geared for high school girls or older And there's nothing wrong with explaining to a middle school girl, if you have an allowance or a small job, this is what you should be saving. And this is what you should feel free to spend. And let's bake in some philanthropy. What would you like to give and where? And how do you make those decisions? I think there's sort of an undercurrent sometimes of bad manners where they adults don't want to talk about money in front of young children, perhaps young girls in particular or it's not considered dinner table conversation. But these are discussions that have to be had. And there's nothing wrong with talking to a young girl about what are needs versus wants, what's a credit score, what introducing that vocabulary. Right. So I think and that- And they'll get it. They yeah, will absolutely yeah. I think, get yeah, it. In the past, we haven't, we've assumed they wouldn't. Right, and or we're assuming they're not interested. Yeah, but exactly. They're interested and yeah. they're spending. And they want to know these things. And so to explain to them how these things work, I think, is interesting. And they enjoy conversing about something that's so grown up. Mm -hmm. And I think the philanthropy concept is important, too. I think there are a lot of middle school age kids that see philanthropy because a parent is involved in a cause or went to an event or their favorite celebrity is tweeting about something. Mm -hmm. But that's not a reason necessarily to get involved with it. So we have a page, Be Charitable, with really excellent charity finders where they can plug in their age and their interest or a lot of girls email us directly and say I need community service hours can you help me form a campaign I'm interested in animal rescue or homelessness Mm -hmm. and we help them form an idea and a social media campaign and just because you're in middle school doesn't mean you can't be effective or start thinking about that yeah and we tell them you know don't worry so much about raising all the money the grown-ups can raise the money you can raise awareness. Mm. You are outstanding on social media. You've got friends who want to do what you're doing or follow what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. So let's raise awareness. Let's get involved and talk about different campaigns and have things collected for your school, whether it's travel-sized bottles of, you know, products that a homeless shelter could use, pajamas for a hospital. It's it's endless. It's endless. It is. But it needs to resonate with them. That's right. It needs to be an authentic interest and and they're incredibly active and engaged when all of a sudden you're speaking about an interest that, you know, clean water, better schools, used sports equipment. It can be anything. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fantastic. Um, we're going to take a quick break uh, okay. for our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about the difference between leadership and that personal development piece of um, who am I and what am I meant to be doing here? Great. We'll be right back. This is Kristen Hilsley, financial advisor of the Foley Hilsley Group, with a big announcement. Last fall, I hosted a women's lifestyle conference to help the women who do it all take control of their finances. Now I'm excited to announce a new partnership with Women to Watch Media to help show women how to own their financial future. We'll have newsletter articles, blog posts, announcements of live events, and a lot more, all available at womentowatch.net. 
and our own website, foleyhillsleygroup.com. I'm thrilled about this new partnership, and I look forward to being your resource for all things financial. Stay tuned to learn more or visit our website at foleyhillsleygroup.com. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird and Company, member SIPC. Log on to foleyhillsleygroup.com to learn more. That's F-O-L-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y group.com. Or call 610-238-6636. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Women to Watch on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this afternoon by Alana Rea. That's a beautiful name, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) It's beautiful. Um, Alana is an attorney. She is a lecturer at at Columbia, and she's the founder of ETRA, which is a resource and mentoring site for middle school girls. Um, ETRA means to be, and um, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about the launch. Mm-hmm. of Etra and really how it has grown and expanded since 2016 when you first and actually I'd love to know what what happened that first day when you when you went live <laughs> I have to say I so I launched on Mother's Day because I was able to put out an announcement on Facebook and I just naively thought well gosh everyone's on Facebook on Mother's Day so it's a good time <laughs> to do it um but also because it, my daughter had been such a big inspiration for the site in terms of finding mentorship for girls. My son as well, by the way. I mean, very encouraging. But so I launched it on Mother's Day, and I honestly did not think that it was going to do anything. I thought, well, I'm going to be proud of myself for having built it and launched it, something I always wanted to do. But beyond that, I had all these initial quotes from women. I didn't even put their names on them because I thought, well, they're so high profile, and if this thing flops, why embarrass them? <laughs> so I just put public company CEO, airline pilot, chief of surgery, you know, just. Um, but I decided that to grow it, I knew it was going to be non-commercial. Mm-hmm. We have no ads. We have no sponsors. This is a pure passion play. So to grow it, I was going to need to send a cold email out every day and see what happened. So every day I sent a cold email out with the link to the site saying, look, we're a week old, we're two weeks old. I'd love any feedback, positive or negative. And if it resonates with you, please share it. Send it to someone else. Was this email going out to colleagues of yours? who Colleagues have- of mine. And, and a lot of them just cold emails. People okay. I had never met, but I knew were in the space. Or influencers or people, educators, where I thought that this might actually ring a bell for them. Mm-hmm. And one of the people I emailed was Ariana Huffington whom I had never met, but I had been at her Thrive Conference in 2014, which mm-hmm. was right when I was leaving the firm. And so much of what she said was just so inspirational and so motivating for me. And she emailed back two days later and said, I love what you're doing. I'd love for you to blog for Huffington Post. I'd love a video of you with the girls. For They had this Talk to Me series at the time. And from there, 
it, it skyrocketed. So then Lean In became a partner. Elevate, um, the women's networking group with Sally Krawcheck, began sharing resources with us, sharing inspirational quotes that we could put on the site. Yeah. Um, Elevest, the investment platform that Sally Krawcheck started, which is made by women for women, wanted to provide resources for our Be Wise page. So the Be Wise page was added after we launched with Elevest's material. Um, we're 20 months old now. We have, um, I write for Huffington, for Thrive Global, which is Ariana Huffington's new platform, for Mogul, which is another women's networking program, and they wanted to hear from the girls. So I have 10 girls, high schoolers and college age, uh, blogging for Mogul now on behalf of their schools. And three of our board members made the top high schoolers to watch, top 50 high schoolers to watch, which is Mogul's global contest. Three board members made it last year. Um, we have ESPNW, we have 3M loaned us female scientists where the girls can bounce questions off of them. Mm, I love that. It's, yeah, it's the Children's Place asked for content for their blog. They have a brand new blog on their website, and so they're highlighting girls that we find inspirational. Um, whether it's scholastic contests or Girls Right Now, Rock the Street, Wall Street, you were talking about finance. Mm -hmm. Rock the Street, Wall Street is a phenomenal financial literacy program for girls. It runs out of Tennessee, but they're going national. The new partners every day. Yeah. And a lot of it's because we stay substantive. We deliberately don't talk about sex, drugs, faith, bullying. Those are politics. all politics, mm -hmm. except the idea of being informed in mm -hmm. politics. You know, we're extremely apolitical on the site, but the idea that they should be politically aware and they should care about the issues. Right. And you know, form their opinions. And form their opinions yeah. that are their opinions. These are all important. And Girls in Politics is a wonderful partner of ours. We did our very first event with them, mm -hmm. talking about the political process and why it's important to be informed. So we're 20 months old, and we're non-commercial and committed to, to staying that way. But the, the companies that are coming in are incredible and amazingly generous with their resources. And I couldn't be more um, delighted and bewildered all at the same time. <laughs> well, I think sometimes timing is everything. I think so. Right? And it it's so prime for right now. It is. Right? As, and I think corporations, companies are looking for ways to not just, you know, not just their bottom line, but how can we give back? What's important to us as a company and yeah. where can we help? Right. Um, tell, I'd love to know what kind of conversations you have with the girls. You know, we talked about politics and I think with social media, they're exposed to a, a lot of stuff mm -hmm. out there. And a lot of it's negative, unfortunately. Yes. And a lot of it comes from grownups. Mm -hmm. And so while your site in particular is not going to take a stance in any political direction, it's important for the girls to know that they should form their own opinions and care about making a difference um, in their communities and, mm -hmm. you know, perhaps in, in the country and on a global stage. What kind of conversation, what, what are they asking, I should say, about what's happening around the political climate with grown-ups constantly at odds and not collaborating. I We're trying to teach them to do that. It's true. Yeah. I think the threshold question that you get is, why should I care? I'm too young to vote. These issues don't affect me. Why should I care? And the answer is, you're next. You know, this, you guys are going to run the show very soon. And the issues that are being discussed impact you. And, and you have opinions that are valid. So then you tell them that you give them the freedom to look at news sites or hear from experts that might not be the typical channel that's on in their kitchen every day. 
their parents may listen to one news station every day or have one very clear political view, and it's okay to differ. It's okay to think outside the box, and the world is big, so let's have the bucket of information that you draw from be big too. Look at opposing views. You're not flip-flopping. You're not um, being disloyal to your favorite teacher or your parents or anything else. You are forming your own views, and that's what you're supposed to do. You're coming of age in an advanced democracy at an interesting time. Yes, it's combative. Yes, there can be a lot of negativity, but you break it down for them in middle school terms. You know name-calling when you hear it. You see negativity all the time. You know what to do with that. Yeah, right. Find the issue. Mm -hmm. Go past that. Brush that off. That is not the focus. And they absolutely get that. Yeah. And the issues that they may care about may be clean water and better schools and access to information. And But the resources are out there for them to find it. And it's important that they're politically aware. On our Be Smart page, we have a whole list of groups that are encouraging young women to get involved in the political process and run. And many of them are not, most of them are nonpartisan, but they are looking to the high school age. They're looking at the college age. And the, the material is not so sophisticated that the middle schoolers can't absolutely get it. How about um, diversity? You know, the, um, the board is diverse and the, the kids are diverse. diverse and, yep. You know, they don't ever see color and, you know, different, you know. Their diversity of- brings a huge amount of value to the board. If I say which athlete would you like to hear from? You know, the Olympics are coming up. We're going to start writing to athletes, asking them for a quote or to answer a single interview question by email. And I want a million different views. I want, if they want to hear about new books that are being written or any of their diverse views, their diverse interests, geographic, uh, racial, religious, anything like that, all informs the people that we try to reach and the questions we want to ask. Um, so it's it's just happening very organically. Can you <clears throat> Have you pinpointed a difference that you see in the girls this generation compared to, I won't say ours, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, but <laughs> our generation growing up, what, what stands out to you as the, as the biggest difference that you see? They're fearless. They are, they are untamed in their ambition. And if I can keep that, that's so precious <laughs> and so good that before the white noise of high school and beyond hits that, if you can capture that and just say, stay fearless, you know, don't, don't quit your soccer team. You know, there are statistics that say uh, Women's Sports Federation says that girls at, by age 14 are dropping out of sports at twice the rate of boys. And that statistic exists, but the girls that I'm seeing are devoted to their sports and they want to stay. And if you just keep encouraging that, you get quotes from the athletes or collegiate athletes and you keep encouraging them to stay because they're passionate about their sport, that fearlessness kicks in mm. and they brush off the idea of quitting. They have an innate confidence that you just want to cultivate and keep and, yeah, you know, water. <laughs> right, right. So you've had conversations with teachers, and they talked about the age that girls suddenly stop raising their hands. Yeah, and this is not, you know, national research. I mean, these are small conversations that I'm having in small but local it's areas. Yeah, it I is think it's interesting. True. And for every new school that I visit, it's a question I want to keep asking. Yeah. You know, why is it that when they get to middle school, the hands don't quote up quite as much? Or if they've raised their hands once in class, they feel like, okay, I've done it. Um, one of the biggest things that I keep stressing with the girls is raise your hands, don't lower your standards. And I mean it. I truly mean it the confidence to raise your hand and the validity of your questions. 
Don't sit there and wait for someone else to ask your question. Mm -hmm. Whether you're in a classroom or a boardroom, it's exactly the same thing. Don't wait. Um, teachers are saying that around age 11. Girls stop raising their hand or they do it less frequently or they stop raising it in certain subjects. And it's it's area where people wiser than I have done more research about it. But it is what I'm hearing. And it is something I focus on talking to the girls about is put that hand up. It's a habit you need to get into. And on these lunch and learns, when we're going to go visit these places, it's a huge thing. I want the girls to be asking questions, substantive, intelligent questions, and then pushing for an answer that satisfies them. You know, and each time they do that, that's going to build their confidence even more. They're yeah. going to they're going to feel so great about themselves. Um, so, all, you know, your work is around helping to build confident young ladies. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about you and your own confidence. Um, are there times? I think we're all human, and so as we can be incredibly successful in our field and still have moments of insecurity. Um, tell me about yours. What is it that typically kind of gets you a little bit second guessing, and what do you do to talk yourself through it? Uh, I, don't know. I was nervous. This is my first radio interview. I was nervous doing this. <laughs> um, I think I want to be careful not to hold myself out as an expert on a lot of things related to the girls where I can simply direct them to another expert. And it makes me a little nervous if someone thinks that I'm offering health and wellness advice or pure academic advice. I'm trying to gather resources and cull resources that will be helpful to the girls and point them in the direction of true experts. That's really what I want to do. I'm not an educator. I'm not a therapist. And I'm highly aware that by creating this curated resource site, I need to remind people of that. Mm -hmm. um, so you're concerned about the perception that people might have of you. Yeah. This is, this is um, a springboard. It's not necessarily... Um, you know, a, a lectern of, of expertise. It's yeah. a springboard. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's important. I think being a little bit scared when you go into a new situation is always good. I think every time you get up to lecture or every time that you would walk into a huge boardroom full of people, I think there's a little butterfly there. And I yeah. think it's good. And I think it motivates you. It's anticipating that is what makes you very prepared. Right. Be the girl that's done more homework than anybody else and walk in armed with that. And the butterflies won't matter so much. Yeah. So I think everybody has it. It's how you use it. Anticipate it and use it and prepare for it. I think I've heard multiple times if you don't have some nerves, then that's problematic. Yeah. <laughs> because then you don't care. No, I don't have that kind of ego. <laughs> no. <laughs> so let's talk about kind of the future and what you envision um, for Etcher going down the road. And, and maybe there's not a big vision. At, you know, we talked again before the show about how it's evolving. And yeah. Sometimes I think it's best to just do the next right thing. Yeah. Right? What today, Every day this is something new and exciting happens. Um, I had aimed it at middle schoolers because I thought that they were being underestimated, and I hadn't seen a lot of websites out there that, was, that were devoted solely to substantive, meaty issues like this, mm -hmm. like philanthropy, um, mentorship. So I aimed it at middle schoolers. I was surprised at how many high schoolers wanted to get involved, and they're really the ones that are running the clubs. And then beyond that, I was surprised at how many college girls were emailing in just to ask about ideas for community service, whether for their sorority or just in general, using our Be Charitable page to find ideas. And now we have these college girls writing for Mogul. So it's trending upwards, and I like that. I'm still writing to the middle schooler, and the voice of what I'm writing is there, but I love that it's being used 
on a larger plane, and and that I would love to see continue. I think that the mentorship opportunities there are huge for college girls to mentor high schoolers, for high schoolers to mentor middle schoolers. Mm. And then once they're in high school, I mean, once they're in college, the fact that we have partnerships with Elevate and Mogul puts them in a pipeline for the right. pre-professional, for oh yeah. you know, go, go now meet all of these people at Elevate who've been giving us these resources and these quotes. Go meet them. Join that. It's the same at Mogul. These are huge opportunities for them. So the fact that it's trending upwards, I think I would like to continue. I keep getting asked about Etra guys, or is there going to be an Etra guys? And I understand that the I know these poor boys. There's nothing for them. Uh, yeah, but my sympathy only runs so deep. Um, I, I like being in this space right now. I like being in this girl power space, and it's not just the timing of it. I truly think that I have something to offer and that there are girls who are craving this STEM-focused um, – we have a book page, you know, Be Well Read, as a page where we're highlighting new releases, and the Girls Who Code book, Marley Diaz – um, who founded A Thousand Black Girl Books, and she's 14 years old. Her new book comes out tomorrow. Mm. Marley Diaz gets it done. It's all about young activism. That I can highlight books like that for girls right. is, <clears throat> is just so rewarding for me that I want to stay in this space right now. Yeah. I, I do think there's a place, and there, there will be where, in other words, we can't always have our focus on girls and women and not be talking about the men and the boys right. that are there and how they have and can have right. positive impact. Right. You have a son. I do. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, you're um, a role model by, you know, he's seeing what you're doing. Have you had conversations with him around, you know, just the way he should be having conversations with the girls in his life and how things have changed today? I have, and my husband certainly has. Um, you know, he's he's a naturally charismatic, bright, wonderful kid, and, and he's incredibly sensitive to these issues. He is a news and politics media junkie. So he reads, you know, avidly. And so he's very up on all of these issues. And he's seeing them on the college campus where he's a freshman. So he informs me as much as I'm informing him. And he'll tell me what he's seeing and what he's reading. Mm, That's great. uh, Which is great. Um, And I think that there is a burden on young men today. But this is instructive. And this is all good. And this movement that we're seeing now is nothing but good and educational for for everyone yeah so the fact that these are new issues that maybe my husband didn't have to deal with when he was in college and now my son does okay yeah get up to speed yeah i mean so the me too movement yeah you know is it can how could it not lead to a positive outcome because it's kind of like you know the awareness first yeah and then things will change yeah yeah and and i think that's what he's seeing and certainly my daughter on her campus as well um but yeah, I would never say never on the issue of a, the sites for boys or resources for boys. But I think it's a different time, and and it's a different compilation of resources. Yeah, tell me what you, your personal opinion on why the world needs more women in leadership roles. I think women bring different skills to the table, and in the same way that diversity on a board or in a cabinet or in the UN, whatever platform you're on, in the same way that diversity is good, gender diversity is good. Women bring different aptitudes, they collaborate differently, they lead differently, and their strength, ability to prioritize, ability to see the 30,000-foot view is, I'm not saying better or worse, it's different, and different is good, mm-hmm. and, and diversity of thought is good. 
And I think that the more women that are on boards and in cabinet positions and on the Supreme Court and, you know, 20% of Congress is female, 25% in the state legislature, we have six governors that are women, you know, these numbers should go up. And I think that governance and accountability and certainly at the board level and in public companies as well, it, it can't be anything but good. And I put it into the same bucket as diversity. We just need more of it. Do you think that there's a, um, a pressure at all, and this would particularly from the young girls as they're being educated and given resources and information, if perhaps they want to lead a simpler life, right, and not pursue something monumental? How, how do you have those conversations with them around I that? hope it's not seen as pressure. I hope it's simply you're living a richer life wherever you choose to expend your effort. Um, I worked ridiculous hours my first years at the firm, and I absolutely was convinced I had it all and it was so much fun. Then I stayed home for six years with my kids. I felt lucky to be able to do so. I felt I had it all again. Yeah. It didn't diminish my interest in what was happening in the world or reading the Wall Street Journal or any of the other things I like to do. It's it's where you are in your life and you're going to lead a rich life you know, of depth and intellect and curiosity no matter what you choose to spend your billable hours doing. Yeah. I think that's true. I think, you know, once again, I loved that, you know, you're really teaching the girls to be informed. And I think mm -hmm. when they're at that age, they're very distracted by the nonsense that's right. going on. So if it can be shown to them that being knowledgeable and informed makes their life so much more exciting. Right. And right? there are teen focused sites to do that. You know, if they go to the Be Informed page, you don't have to be on all the sites where you have a split screen of adults screaming at each other. There are teen-focused news sites that are geared to breaking down the issues in an age-appropriate way and then helping you use that information if you have to write a report for history or anything like that. It's, it's geared to them, and those are the sites that are most beneficial, I think. Um, this is None of it is beyond them. And they are used to having such an influx of information and graphic, and I tried to make the site feel a little bit like that. There's all different colors. There are color-blocked quotes. We skip from one topic to another within each silo. It is how they import information and what they're used to. So we tried to do the same thing, make it appear that way on a screen. You assume that everyone's reading it on a phone screen as opposed mm, to a laptop, yeah, yeah. and it has that look and feel. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the, yeah, the creativity of the website. You know, how did you come up with the colors and the logo and all of that? You know, it, it's important to get their attention. It, it is. Yeah. Um, I looked at a ton of websites in that space, and I felt uh, I felt like there was a lot of glitter and animation, and some of them felt very young, and I wanted this to feel sophisticated. I wanted it to feel like you don't know exactly what it means, etra. They have to find out what it means. I thought the French was nice. I liked the symmetry with the two E's. I mean, just it, it was easy on the eye. I liked the orange because it showed up easily when you were scrolling through a phone. Mm -hmm. It didn't look like a whole lot of other sites that were pink or purple or teal. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked the idea of the of the to be. I actually didn't think I would get the trademark. I was stunned when I was able to trademark a verb. I didn't think you could do that. <laughs> um, and it made adding the pages easy. Uh, and I, I did it on a platform that made it super easy. It was drag and drop. Um, I'm not doing any coding. This is as, as simple as it gets in terms of building the site. But I had used the platform before, mm -hmm. and I was comfortable with it. And the graphics were great. And then so many companies said, oh, please use our logo. Please use this quote. Please use this image. 
that we had more than enough material to build it initially. Yeah, that's going to be You're going to continue to get that. I hope. Yeah. I do hope. And how do you get the members? The, the board the, members? The board members. How so, does that happen? Um, because the girls are young, I was careful not to ask. You don't register to be on the site. So anyone can just access the site itself and drop in. We're not capturing information. There's no email That's distribution great. list. Uh, I think yeah, the girls are young. We don't need to be capturing that information. Yeah. In our FAQs, it talks about the fact that we have this board. And if you're interested in joining, you just email us. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, what your interests are, why you want to join the board. And honestly, the more the merrier. The board... So there's, there won't be a limit. There won't be a no, limit. No, I would board. love okay. it if it was gigantic. We don't meet in person. So I have board members in Vermont and in Texas and in Chicago, and and it's a monthly email where I let them know what's going on. And then the questions that I ask, as I told you, are sort of geared to helping shape what's next on the site. So what news stories are interesting to you? What's the latest book or movie that most affected you? The answer doesn't matter as much as if all of them pick a movie, we need to be introducing better books. Right. We need to be highlighting more. So it, it's the nature of what they're saying. Right. Um, who would you like to interview? And then we go out and we ask whoever they want to interview a single question. Nobody says no. Yeah. It's a one single question from middle school girls by email. But we're getting lots of impact that way. And the board members generally, they're telling their friends. Um, so I'll have maybe three girls all from the same school or one will tell a cousin. And they take the board duties incredibly seriously. Yeah. I think I told you when we got here um, – I said to them in the beginning, what, what do you want for being on the board? You know, being on the board's a responsibility. They get their answers back to me within three days, usually, of me sending it out. They send me detailed answers. They're terrific. Um, swag. They wanted swag that said Etra that no one could buy. So water bottles, things like that. And so the board grows daily. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so much fun. Listen, I thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. Thanks for and, having me. Uh, you can find Alana and the girls at etragirls.com, mm -hmm. E-T-R-E girls.com um that's it for this week of women to watch everybody have a great week go eagles